Welcome to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast, where we discuss the art, science, and application of high-performance strength and conditioning. Join Mike Perry and Brett Jones as they share invaluable experiences as veteran strength coaches, lecturers, and educators. Welcome to Season 4 of the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. Welcome back to season four of the Minimum Effective Dose podcast. My name is Mike Perry, and I'm here as always with my good friend, uh, Brett Jones. Brett, how are we doing today, man? What's going on? Oh, Mike, uh, doing fine. Doing fine. Just busy, cold. Um, yeah, but good. You know, 2024, we're, all, we're rolling. New year, new you. <laughs> Still waiting new on the new year, me part. Same old. Anyways. Same suit, um, different crackers. Exactly. SOS. It's it's a it's a gym, not not those other things. Uh, what is those exactly. other things? If you think about it, in some days I feel like the gym is all those things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, all no, the I'm feels, not. all the pumpkin, all the spice feels, feelings. all the SOSs. Um, all right. So today we're gonna we're gonna dig a little bit deeper into a post I made the other day, and uh, this post was regarding yoga. And uh, specifically yoga for for athletes in general. And and what we want to do today is give you some clear context on uh, if you have specific goals, there is an optimal path to get there. And granted, there's different ways to get there. But um, we want to talk about um, if you do pursue yoga, Pilates, anything else, whatever it is, you need to understand what it can and cannot do for you and sort of what are its uh, checks and balances, strengths and weaknesses, because every modality has something that's biased towards it's good at and, and not so good at. So what we want to do is talk about, you know, how yoga can be beneficial for athletes, um, how yoga can be beneficial for everybody. And it's really going to be dependent on your goals because some people yoga is the best thing in the world for others. Maybe it's not good for them at a certain point or at, um, at a point where they, they need it right now or currently maybe down the road they will. So, um, and, and what I was talking about was, um, specifically about force production. And, um, I've noticed recently working with a handful of local athletes that they say, I've been doing yoga. I've been doing yoga. And, um, it's very interesting because what I'm seeing is they, they move very well and they're, they're very strong in certain planes and in certain ranges of motion. And then it's almost like a complete tail off. And, and what I've realized is that a lot of these athletes, they're doing yoga and they're getting more flexible and their movement competency, not, to, not I shouldn't say competency, but their ability to move globally, their joints through a higher degree of range of motion, um, can potentially be problematic because, um, if you are too loosey goosey, and uh, you don't have stability with that mobility. Um, it's kind of like shooting a cannonball from a canoe, and and that's really what we want to discuss today. Is is you know, let's dig a little bit deeper as to the context of this because um, yoga, Pilates, all of these things are phenomenal modalities. But let's just discuss how that can work for uh, for athletes in general. And uh, we want to get a little bit more granular because um, I know I did upset some people <laughs> because I mentioned yoga. Um, and, uh, anyways, but it's important to, to give a little bit of context to this. And that's really where I'm going with it. Yeah. I think, uh, to the subject of, you know, irritating people and, uh, people taking things personally, um, you know, I think that, you know, people there's popular memes about kettlebells, right? 
So, you know, it's like the Samuel L. Jackson picture with the, from Pulp Fiction, say kettleballs one more time or what? Look, I don't care. Call it a kettleball, kettleball, cat, cat, cat bell. I, I don't care. Do you <laughs> want to learn to use this tool? Cool. I can nomenclature. We can work on that in, in the yeah. background. Do you want to learn this tool? Cool. Like, I don't get upset by people misnaming something or even by people saying, well, I saw one the other day. Kettlebell swing is the most overrated exercise in the world. Cool. Don't do it. End of discussion. <laughs> End of discussion. Like at that point, what am I discussing with you? Yeah. So when somebody says something, you know, yoga is not good for X. Well, guess what? Yoga might not be good for that. Yoga is good for a ton of things. I've done a lot of yoga in the past. Um, I, I had a studio when I worked in, in, uh, and I say a lot with some air quotes around it. Um, <laughs> I've done less of that than I have kettlebells. Let's put it that way. Uh, there was a studio down the street from where I worked in, in California and I would go take classes on a pretty regular basis. And, um, for me at that time where I was doing a lot of kettlebell training, um, starting into some powerlifting, um, that opportunity to a not be in charge of the class and clear my headspace mentally to be someplace that was for me for one hour where I could breathe, move, uh, release some of the tension that I was developing, both from stress work and my training. I mean, it was a great piece of my routine, uh, for, for a little while. So, you know, in context, when somebody says, I don't like X kettlebells, kettlebell swing, yoga, Pilates. Okay. You don't like it for what? What, what would you, what, what are you expecting from this tool? And then I, I think to step back for a second and, and think about why you had a visceral emotional reaction to somebody coming after something that you like. Um, runners are easy for this too. You, you can, you can say, I don't like running and uh, there's going to be legions of people coming for you. And when I say I don't like running, I don't like running for me. I'm not good at it. Some of the mileage I've got on my body doesn't respond well. When I see somebody that runs well, I'm just jealous. If if I say you shouldn't run, it's probably because I did a movement screen on you, maybe found some pain or some restrictions that we shouldn't be banging into at the moment. And so keep things in context. Think about why you had a visceral reaction. But I'm really interested uh, to hear more about the post you made and some of the reactions you got. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, before we dive into that, um, I think when you have a situation where you necessarily, you know, don't agree with someone, it's kind of two options. One, you can be defensive and think that you're right and just discard it. Now, if it's something incredibly outlandish, it's a great strategy. But, you know, there are several different ways to get the job done. So uh, I think what I'm saying is we can learn from everyone and everywhere as long as it's sort of on, along the same path. You know, I'm not going to say that you're going to get faster by renting a hot air balloon because that's that's really not going to do it for you, right? But I think it's important to understand that you can't get stuck in your silo. You you can't get you can't believe your own confirmation bias because there are thousands of people doing a really good job hundreds of thousands of people doing a really good job doing things that you think are dumb. So point being is, is there's a lot of different ways to, to, to learn. And, um, I think we need to just, 
be a little bit more open-minded with our modalities. And uh, if you don't want to be open-minded with your modalities, that's cool. That's that's fine. If you want to be right, be right. And you're right. And congratulations. But let's get on the uh, topic of, of um, yoga for athletes. Now, the first thing that we need to sort of think about is context. There's several different types of yoga. And, and I will be the first one to admit, I don't know all of them. I really do not. Um, all I know is there are so many different styles and there are so many different techniques and, and so many different teachings that there's a lot and I don't know what I don't know. So when I say yoga, um, I am, it's like saying you should eat food, right? I mean, there's, there's a little bit more context than that, but, um, one of the reasons why just saying yoga is good for people, because again, I don't know all the different types of yoga. There could be some yoga that is phenomenal for other people, but again, it's the context, right? What is it for? Um, and the same thing for athletes. What does the athlete need, right? So we have to really consider that too, because athletes is a pretty generic term. Now, I happen to think that one of the things people, one of the ways people potentially misuse yoga is they think that is it, it's a catch-all and that everybody's going to benefit from it from a movement and a musculoskeletal and a movement competency standpoint. And that's simply not the case because um, not everybody needs to stretch. And if you stretch the entire body and you move all the joints and you have certain segments of your body that are already a little bit more, let's say mobile than others, and you have other segments of your body that are a little bit more restricted. Yes, you're going to move the needle on your global mobility, but the differential and the potential problem that you had in the areas that needed to be more stable and the areas that needed to be more mobile, the gap is still the same. You've just gotten a little bit more mobile in the process. So we need to give firepower and stability to that. We need to be able to bridge that gap. And, and I think that's the one thing people don't understand is there are joints that can be too mobile and there are joints that can be too stiff or stable. So just throwing a bunch of mobility exercises at someone, I, I just think there's a better way. So two things, and it will probably end up being three. Uh, no, but probably, probably four or five. Uh, number one is have a baseline for your movement. Don't guess. I need to stretch. Do you? How you know? Well, I feel tight. Well, this is where I get to tell you that I don't care about your feelings. Um, <laughs> because... <heard> that <laughs> <laughs> from who? Never mind. <laughs> but yeah, I don't care about your feelings. I feel tight. Okay. Well, fatigue and tension feel pretty similar at the end of the day. Maybe that thing you think is tight is really just tired of holding you up. And so defining and having a baseline for your movement that says, yes, I actually do need to stretch this piece or part. Also, to follow that line of thought on actually having a movement baseline is once you clear your movement baseline, you get above from an FMS perspective, you get it, get past that all twos, no asymmetries, uh, sort of movement minimums. Okay. Well, now we're adding yoga for a different reason. If, if you're adding yoga to try to fix something that you don't even know that you should be fixing, mm -hmm. I, I think we're pointed in the wrong direction. You know, uh, if you don't know where, where you're going, it, it, any going anywhere will get you there. Um, so having a baseline addressing movement issues beforehand. Cause I work with people that say, you know, oh, I've got a shoulder, whatever. Well, how's your T-spine mobility? Well, I do this move in, in yoga, Pilates, ground-based movement. What, pick your, pick your poison. I do kettlebell arm bars. I do 
kettlebell people say this too. I, oh, I do all these moves. Okay, well, let me get you in this position. Look at your T-spine rotation. Kink. They got like five degrees of rotation. And they think they're addressing it. So there is a place for having that movement baseline and saying, yes, I need to address this. There are isolated strategies that we can implement very quickly in something like a T-spine that allow us to go into a yoga practice on a much better foundation. Um, so don't expect yoga to fix everything. Um, now, the last thing is kind of, I'm, I'm intuiting uh, some of what you were saying. That's a real word. You can look it up. Um, <laughs> in let's look, let's use ankle mobility as an example, because I've had this discussion with people. We know from a musculoskeletal health risk factor, if you have less than 35 degrees of active ankle dorsiflexion, or you have an asymmetry in that dorsiflexion, it is a risk factor uh, for you getting injured. So ankles matter. Now, what also matters if we're talking force production and sprinting is having the stiffness at the ankle and foot to tra efficiently transfer that energy. But don't hear what I'm not saying. I stole that from you and I'm going to, it's a game changer. Um, <laughs> so don't hear what I'm not saying. We need an ankle that has the available 35 plus degrees of active ankle dorsiflexion, but we need the tissue response of the stiffness to support the power production. Those are not contradictory. Those two things can exist at the same time. And unfortunately, people hear, well, I need ankle stiffness, and they actually think a restricted ankle is giving them that ankle stiffness. And you're confusing what the joint should be doing and the tissue response when it's loaded. So we need 35 plus degrees of active ankle dorsiflexion, and we need the tissues to respond to create stiffness to efficiently transfer force. That's not a contradiction. That is a, you need both of these things. Now, I also would say that unless your job, if your job is to run in a straight line, uh, yeah, ankle stiffness might, might help you out. If you need to go left, you're probably going to want that 35 degrees of active ankle dorsiflexion. So I will prioritize ankle mobility over this, quote, uh, this amorphous stiffness any day of the week. So in doing yoga, when you are stretching and changing the sensitization of the Golgi, ten Golgi tendon organs, interfusal muscle fibers, and all of these things that give us this idea of tissue length, stiffness, quality, uh, you can change your ability to produce force. Uh, you can you can impact your force production. That was like 10 things. I'm going to shut up now. No, and now you got me on a tangent because I was just having this conversation this morning and I can't not say what I'm going to say. So thank you for hijacking the conversation, Jones. Um, Perfect. No, but to your point, I was working with an athlete this morning and this is this is a hypermobile high level lacrosse player. Um very strong, very very strong, very mobile. I mean the guy does rear foot elevated split squats with over 100 pounds in each hand. So he's strong. Yeah. He's so strong in fact that when he sprints his hips overpower his ability to be elastic in his lower limb and he can't he can't produce the same force through the lower limb. So when he takes off 
he's got a ton of horsepower, but the second his foot hits the ground and to that propulsion phase, it just flattens out because he doesn't have the extensibility and, and, and the elasticity to from a tissue standpoint. And it's, it's very interesting to see as I start to really, you know, dig down and, and spend more time on sprinting and running mechanics. That's one thing that I see is I, I often see an overpowered, uh, athlete where they've got really strong hips, but their, their lower limbs, if you will, the calves, Achilles, all of that on the backside, the GTOs, everything that's going to support the idea of stretch reflex is just, it, it, it can't keep up. And, and there you go. The cool thing about that though, is we already know what the answer is. Like, it's not like, wow. I mean, and, and, and it, it, it's a beautiful thing because if you've got a mobile athlete and you've got a strong athlete, it's just like we clean up technique and we give him a little bit more stability where he needs it or in stiffness, whatever you want to call it. And those are easy, right? That's, that's easy to fix. So that's, that's a lot of fun. But again, to your point, you know, it, it's context and, and we have to understand what the goal is because a mobile ankle is great. If you're squatting, maybe you have mobility in that ankle, but you cannot produce force in sprinting same ankle could, and, and it could appear to be mobile in the same way, but if you ask it to do different things, well, then, then you have to dig a little bit deeper as to what that ankle can and cannot do. Absolutely. And that's, uh, I, I boil it down in my brain, my pea sized little brain as that tissue response versus the mm -hmm. joint. Yeah. And, uh, we confuse the, we either confuse them and say, I want stiffness. Therefore I'm going to restrict the range of motion of this joint or, we prioritize the the mobility and we don't back it up with the ability to produce this tissue response and have the stiffness that's needed to, to produce force. And it's funny as I, you know, built out mind the gap and I started, you know, doing my own training and realizing my ability to produce force in a kettlebell swing snatch uh, squat was starting to be impacted by the fact that my feet and lower legs had gotten weak. I don't, as previously discussed, I don't run and I'm jealous of those that do. Uh, I don't jump because I have everything in the house down at a height where I can get to it. And I don't play sports that require me to jump. Um, sorry. So. <laughs> sorry, I just have a visual in my head. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about it. Um, so I, you know, athletes that are running, jumping, playing, like they're going to, they're going to achieve a certain level of lower leg strength just in the activities that they're taking on. Now, the hypermobile person you're talking about that has the extra room that really needs to really needs to back up that tissue response so that so that we're we're getting that stiffness that transfers power, super important. Uh, for me, just adding in some single leg calf raises and some single leg deadlifts and really starting to emphasize just a little bit of lower leg strength. Um, is it uh, David Gray uh, is is uh, doing a lot right now talking about um, getting the heel off the ground during things like lunges, rear foot elevated split squats, et cetera, and, and encouraging that foot response and tissue response that we want to be able to transfer force. Um, so that um, just, just that little realization that I had, and for me, who's not athletic and not playing a sport, for me, adding in some single leg calf raises, some single leg deadlifts, things like that, has me feeling more stable and feeling like I'm producing a little more power in my swings and snatches. Um, for an athlete, you're going to need to back up that tissue, the, the ability to produce that tissue stiffness when it's needed in different ways. Yeah, no. And, and, uh, we should basically just change this entire episode to talk about the ankle because that's what we've been <laughs> hammering. But, um, but you know what, again, 
we kind of step back and, and talk about the bigger picture here. Um, if you are making an intervention like yoga, what is your goal with the intervention and what is the eventual adaptation that you're looking to make? Um, and, and, you know, obviously with the ankle, we're just talking about, you know, a mobile ankle's good for certain things. And, you know, you can have a mobile ankle and a weak ankle. Like I, when I blew my ankle out and I tore all the ligaments, pretty mobile. I mean, if we're being honest, right. It's, but it's useless. It was useless. <laughs> so point being is, um, it's about the context. And I think the same thing goes with all the other joints. We have this normative data. We have these baselines, whether you use an FMS or, you know, whether you use something else, uh, maybe you're a little bit more clinical and you get people on the table and you do a combination of table assessments and other movement assessments, obviously Brett and I being, uh, you know, guys that have, uh, you know, taught and lectured for FMS, that seems to be, uh, what we use for the majority of the time. But point being is I don't care what you do. I don't care what you use for an assessment. You have to have a baseline. Um, and then you can make your decisions from there. So, um, if you want to use yoga for an intervention, fantastic. Just check your work. That's it. That's all you need to do. If you feel like something needs to be improved, you put an intervention together like yoga, see if it works. And if it doesn't go from there. And, and, and that's really what we need to consider about strength and conditioning and testing and any type of intervention we make, because you just have to, if you're going to say that something's going to work. You got to test it. Like you just got to have a baseline, whether it's a performance or whether it's movement. Like if not, then how do you know? You're just guessing. And that, that really Absolutely. doesn't, that, that really guessing, I uh, trust me. Really doesn't work well. Yeah. Um, so I think the, yeah, have a baseline, have, have a way to measure what you're doing. Um, and, and why are you doing it? Wait, you, we should know why we're doing something. And, you know, just talk specifically about yoga there for just a second. Like if it's Hatha, Ashtanga, Vinyasa, um, if you're working more flows versus more static, um, if you're doing, um, ah, oh yeah, there's a, there's a yoga style that just went right out of my brain, uses a lot of props and held postures. Um, um, somebody will put it in the, in the comments. Um, there's, there's, if you're studying pranayama, if you're, if you're using it for more meditative and or you know pranayama breathing um meditation relaxation versus just trying to get as stretchy bendy as possible like there's there's a lot of even within yoga when we talk mm -hmm. about context there's a lot of different ways to use yoga um the the studio that i went to i really enjoyed because they had the yoga walls and at the end of class we would hang upside down by the yoga belts on on the yoga wall and i love being upside down and as I say that, I'm realizing I haven't been upside down in a long time. And I should probably do that. Um, in fact, the teacher walked by one day while I was upside down and she just goes, she stopped. She came back. She goes, you just look happy. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. that. No, I'm Nothing upside down. That. Yeah. So I, I think that, uh, you know, the, the context, the reasons, but understand that if you're, if you're an athlete, that's just guessing. Well, I think I need to stretch, so I'm going to do yoga. Do you? If you can't answer that question, do you need to stretch? If you can't answer that question, maybe set a baseline first. Well, and just just dig a layer deeper. Just dig a little bit deeper, right? I mean, if you're saying you need to stretch because of this, that's like saying I need to eat food because I have allergies. That's like saying, you know, I should drink. We just have to get a little bit more. We have to dig a little bit deeper because, uh, you know, making generalized statements, it, it just never works. And, um, you know, I, I think as professionals, we need to, we need to be respectful of other disciplines too, as well, because like, look, I, if you are, whether you teach yoga, Pilates, 
if you love what you do, if you're helping people and you're passionate, awesome. Right. That that's honestly what I care about. So like, you know, my big thing is high standards, right? If you care about what you do and, and, and it is what it is, right? I don't care what people do. Like you said, I don't, it's not like I, you know, I get extra money because I like kettlebells or something, right? I don't care what you do. If you're happy, then do it. And, and I think that's what we need to really think about is, Hey, look, yeah. Like some people think chiropractors suck. I think there's a bunch of chiropractors that suck. There's a bunch of chiropractors that are great and trainers and every yeah. single profession out there, there's good ones and bad ones. Literally they're everywhere. So, you know, to say that Pilates is dumb to say that yoga is dumb to say that kettlebells are dumb to say that barbells are dumb. You're just, you're dumb. That's, that's really what I'm trying to say with that because <laughs> it's, it's just simply wrong. And, um, there's always something to learn from so many different people. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, myself, look, I've been a strength guy for the longest time. I've been in that, I've been in the world of sympathetic performance. You know, I, I probably need to learn a little bit more about, you know, other modalities that are going to get me to downregulate and meditate and relax, whether it's yoga, breathing, et cetera, because I need to learn more about that. So, um, look, at the end of the day, there's, there's so many different ways to do it. There's so many different ways to achieve your goals. You just need to know what is your goal and you need to know the path to get there. And you got to check your work along the way, because if you're not making progress and you're not measuring things, then how do you know you're getting better? You're probably not getting better because, I mean, you can say that you're feeling better, but you know, everybody feels better after two beers. Does that mean things are fixed? No. So anyways, you know, yoga, it has its place and, uh, depending on how you want to use it, where you want to use it and what the role is. So I, I think like anything, dig a little bit deeper, find some context and, uh, and just, you know, be a little bit open-minded. Bikrams. Okay. Bikrams is the, uh, the one that uses props and uses, uh, held postures. Um, check your work along the way. Love the, just kind of as a, a nice little mantra to, to put into your professional brain. Um, don't assume, um, and don't trust your feelings. It's the best worst question we use as coaches, yeah. right? How'd that feel? Well, there's times where I don't care about your feelings. Yeah. I, I saw what I wanted to see. I want to understand how it felt to you. Yeah. You know, we might get it. I to come back to the, to the T-spine example, or even, even to stay with the ankle. I may put somebody in an ankle mobilizing drill and they'll say, well, I don't feel it in my ankle. I feel it up in my quad. Okay. Well, that's good information. But as long as I see the right thing happening at the ankle, I'm happy with what's happening. You you don't need to feel the stretch in your ankle. Uh, T-spine, another good one. You'll get somebody in a rib grab and, and get them to perform the rotation. And they're like, well, I don't really feel it. Okay. Well, that's might because you're only 10 degrees turned into your into your T-spine rotation. Mm -hmm. And we need yeah. to gain about 40 degrees of rotation. Um, and it's, it's not an area that you're going to feel stretchiness in. Right. It's not like a hamstring stretch. I think everybody says, well, I, I, I want to feel that stretch. And what they're referring to is that kind of stretchy sensation you might get in your hamstring or your quad. Um, there's positions you get into where you're not really going to feel a quote stretch and it, the movement is more important than the feeling. Um, so, um, and I think that, a you know, uh, well done anything can be beneficial. And then there's people that succeed despite what they're doing. They credit X supplement or Y technique or, you know, Q um, modality. And uh, 
Lance Armstrong had the highest recorded VO2 max before he ever started becoming elite in cycling. Um, he is he chose a great uh, thing to pursue, given his genetic predisposition to having an outrageous VO2 max. Um, but take somebody that's already elite in their VO2 max and make him a champion cyclist. Yeah, it's still impressive, but boy, you came out of the blocks with a bit of a head start. Um, so yeah. um, I, I think that, uh, you know, saying that athlete X did this, therefore I'm going to do it. Um, yeah, don't, don't confuse. I think you had a post on this today, actually. Uh, don't, don't confuse the, uh, what you see the elite athlete doing uh, with what you need. Yeah. With development. Yeah. No. And that's a big part of it. You're seeing the end product. You're not seeing them make the cake, right? Yeah. And sometimes and the cake comes pre-baked. Yeah. Well, that's, ex that's exactly <laughs> it. And maybe that's just another thing we can talk about, um, you know, on one of our other podcasts, but guys, um, you know, we appreciate you guys, uh, you know, <laughs> allowing us to ramble and talk about a few different things and, uh, <laughs> we appreciate you guys. So look, do us a favor. If you, if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, Give us a positive review on whatever platform you're listening to, and we'll see you guys next week. Hey, everybody. Coach Mike here. Thank you so much for your support. We truly appreciate it. If you could do us a huge favor, please give us a positive review on whatever platform you're listening to. And also, please share this with your friends, colleagues, teammates, and fitness enthusiasts. Thank you again for supporting the Minimum Effective Dose podcast.